All right, it's time to get your head right, get your game right. Today we have a special guest on the show. Uh, he wasn't the best baseball player on planet Earth, but he is one of the best bow hunters that I know for sure. Uh, his name is Jim Willems. He's from New Mexico, originally from Kansas. He's still a Kansas boy in my book. But he's the president of the Pope and Young Club. He's killed more animals than the plague. I love him to death for what he's doing for bow hunting and conservation. Uh, Jim, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, man. Thanks for having me, Andy. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah. So let's just dig right into it. So, Jim, give us a little bit about your background. I know you're from Kansas. You ended up going to New Mexico, started a company. You've done some pretty amazing stuff under the radar in life. Uh, if, if you were born like 25 years later, you'd probably have like 5 million Instagram followers. <laughs> well, that that could very well be. I, I really have no idea, so, so I'll take your word for it. Um, so, so yeah, like you said, I, I was born and raised in Kansas. I grew up on the family farm. My my dad was a, a farmer and a truck driver, and my my grandfather was a farmer, and and you know, pretty much my all of my ancestors were farmers. Um, so uh, it was kind of natural for me, rather than going to college. Um, you know, I wanted to be a, a college and professional football player, but uh, there just weren't any scholarships for a 145-pound <laughs> white boy yeah. that uh, couldn't run all that fast. <laughs> but that's, So that didn't work out. So, so the next best thing is uh, I, I took over the family farm actually while I was still in high school, my senior year in high school. Um, and it started before that. I, I bought uh, the, a herd of cattle from my dad when I was 13, so he could go back to work driving a truck. Um, so somebody that lived there had to take care of him. Uh, from there, I, I uh, bought a tractor and a baler. And, and when I was 14 and 15, started a custom hay, haying operation, putting up hay bales. And uh, then, you know, full, went full blown into farming um, right out of high school. Um, that was in the early 80s, uh, probably the worst time in the history of the world to take <laughs> on a farm. Yeah. And, and that didn't work. So, uh, um, I was, you know, engaged to get married, needed to do something where I could make a decent living and, uh, really just needed to get off the farm. Otherwise I was going to just keep plugging along and be broke my whole life. So, mm -hmm. uh, we gave up the farm and moved to, uh, Farmington, New Mexico to run a sod farm of all things. Um, for two reasons. One was to, to get off the farm and, uh, start something new. And the other was, um, I was a hardcore bow hunter and New Mexico has, if you count javelina and turkey, they have 14 species that you can, uh, hunt or apply for a tag to hunt and, uh, just the opportunity. Without a doubt. Let's just, uh, so you, you just hit on so many cool ideas and topics. So when you were 13 years old, you were buying cattle. That's correct. I bought a herd of 12 cows. <laughs> Now, how does a, because this is, this is a dynamic that I think a lot of people overlook in life and don't understand, like the, the stuff that you were doing at an early age, most people now would say, well, you know, a kid can never do this or that. We always put expectations on, on the youth of America today. And I think they're way more capable to do more than what they're doing. Oh, without a doubt, because all throughout history, you know, kids did do more. Shoot, uh hundred years ago, they had kids working in factories and sweatshops. And, and of course that was not right. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, we fixed that problem, but you know, they were capable of, do, of doing it. And there's been um, 
kids that are kings of territories, countries, things like this, right? We would call them oh. kids, but at 13, <laughs> 14, 15 years old, you start to get some hair under your armpits. Like it's time to be a, it's start, it's time to start growing up a little bit. And I, oh, absolutely. I, I, I love that. So everybody would see Jim now as, you know, successful entrepreneur, successful uh, bow hunter, successful, this successful, that, but to break down the backstory of, you know, trying to make the family farm work, trying to get after it that way. They don't see the grind. It's the same way in my baseball life. Like they didn't see what it took for me to get to the big leagues. They just saw Andy Dirk's the big leaguer, right? Uh, that absolutely. And, and even going back to, to my high school days, uh, you know, I, I loved football. I, I, wanted, I wanted to play football. And, and of course I loved hunting as well, which, which made it a little tough, but, uh, you know, usually football season was op- was done about the time the rut started with the white-tailed deer in Kansas. Um, but, you know, talking about struggles, I, I didn't play any sports my senior year in high school because I was beginning a career. Um, I probably could have played football, but I, I certainly didn't have time to, to run track. Um, I had to be home and work in the fields and taking care of the cattle and doing all of that and preparing for what I thought was going to be my lifetime career. That's what sacrifice is a word that most people they know what it means but they're not willing to do so for myself like i i had if you look back at my life if i look back and say okay what made me successful it was sacrificing things i wanted to do in the moment for the betterment of my life and i continue to do that to this day with my businesses i i'm a i love bow hunting probably more than i should <laughs> But I love it so much, and I haven't been bow hunting uh, in two years. It's because I started a family. Uh, I have two businesses running now. I have a lot of things that need my time and my attention over what I really, really love. And that's like for you, you love football. But there was a more important thing. There was something else that was taking you away from that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the definition of sacrifice. Uh, and if you really want to succeed at something, you have to work at it. Nothing, nothing is just handed to you. Not, absolutely nothing in the world. So uh, the harder you work at it, the, the more you get out of it. And um, the, the feeling of satisfaction is directly proportional to the amount of effort put into things. So it, you, you get a rush out of being successful whether it's sports or business or hunting or, uh, you know, in, in marriage, kids, family, whatever, um, doing it right and being successful is the greatest thing in the world. And it takes time and it takes a word that I think our culture is struggles with, uh, with what we have, uh, the accessibility we have to things it's called patience. And what I always, what, what I remember being young and I was like, 12 years old and my dad was the most patient man on planet earth great mentor and great beyond his years i don't even think he realized what he was instilling in me at times but what i learned from him is it takes time it takes effort and it takes patience and patience is one of those things that i think most younger people young business people young baseball players everybody wants to be in the big leagues tomorrow you know, everybody wants to have the success now, but it takes patience and, and just that daily grind and that daily effort similar to bow hunting. Oh, oh, absolutely. And, and 
you know, probably bow hunting and fishing are the, the two activities, uh, that grownups do, well, even kids do, that takes the most patience. And uh, bow hunting is by far uh, takes the most. You, you usually just have one license. You're after one animal and uh, you have a, a one or a weekend window or a one week or two week window or, or you know, if you're retired, maybe a, a whole month where you spend the entire time trying to get one animal. Mm-hmm. And it takes a whole lot of patience to wait for that, uh, that one animal and that one shot. Uh, usually the difference between the bow hunter and the rifle hunter is the bow hunter comes back from the hunt and says, best experience of my life. Oh, what'd you shoot? Nothing. <laughs> you know, well, I didn't get one. <laughs> exactly. What do you mean? How was that fun? You didn't get one. And it's, that's what people don't understand about bow hunters is it's not about getting one. It's about the experience and the effort and the persistence you put into the pursuit. It is. And, and what, what we enjoy uh, and the most fun part is being close to animals. And, and I mean, close, you know, close enough to shoot with an arrow, which is, you know, like infield baseball distances um, from, from third to first is about as long as you're going to shoot, if, especially if you're shooting traditionally equipped, but being that close to an animal, and and actually fooling their senses, which are are you know, way more advanced than ours, and and not being seen, and even if you don't shoot it, just having them around and and walking by and leaving and and seeing them do the things that they do, uh, few people get to experience that. And it's not only just being close to them, but it's it's being close to them and and winning the game um, by them not seeing you. You know, it, it's always a goal of mine to try to make the whole, for instance, just whitetail season where for the most part you're sitting in a tree stand. It, it's a goal to make the whole season without a deer picking me out in my tree stand. Mm. And, and, you know, you have deer walk by where right under your stand where you could, you know, you could drop a ball on them and hit them without throwing them. Uh, you're that close. And, and so you, you need to do everything you can to keep them from knowing you're there. And that's the exciting part about the hunt for me. When, when a bow hunter actually releases the arrow and I've released several arrows in my life and they didn't, didn't always go where I wanted. Right. So we're talking about thousands, thousands of hours of preparation and going into a hunt, uh, and being extremely excited about it and taking time off work and taking a monetary hit and doing all these things that we do. And that arrow doesn't hit the mark. I remember being in Kansas, wanting to throw my bow into the Arkansas River. I, I missed an eight-pointer at about 10 yards. I shot right over his back, and I wanted to throw my bow in the river. You want to talk about, like, learning life lessons? I don't think there's another way. And it, 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 I think it really helped me in my baseball career because failure is inevitable. We're all going to fail. We're all going to have, uh, you know, times in life or go through struggles in life. But when you invest that much into something and you get that failure feeling, like how how did do you deal with something like that? Well, you you put you you just have to put it behind you. Uh, you know, like they say in baseball, rubbing dirt in it. Yeah. Um, and, and but it's tough. I know exactly what you're talking about. There's times I've actually thrown my bow from making a stupid shot, and it's just the excitement of the moment. And and you know we as bow hunters and we call it buck fever when the the buck gets so close you get so excited you start shaking 
and, and then you can't hold it together long enough to make the shot. And <laughs> it, it happens to everybody and it happens to old guys like me too. Uh, not as much as it used to because, uh, you know, what's the saying? You do something 10,000 times, uh, eventually you get good at it. Yeah. So yeah. the older you get, the better you get. Um, and you don't make nearly as many mistakes, but it still happens and, and you can still screw up and you just have to have a positive attitude and put it behind you and go on to the next one. That's really all you can do. And get back after it. You know, and, and what I always hate seeing is, is somebody who, and this is, I think it's a character it's, it's a person's character, right? Whether or not, okay, I failed at that. Am I going to keep pursuing it? Because what people don't realize is, is when you have failures and if you really love doing something, you have to have passion for it. Once you have the passion to go do something and you fail at it, don't give up because you're just getting started. Got to practice what you preach. Yeah. So success and failure, I think. Yeah. And we, we talk about this a lot in the bow hunting community, I think. You know, when the, when the, the kid goes out and shoots a 212-inch uh, net non-typical deer, we're like, he's ruined. Yeah, that, that is correct, because that's just not how it works. And everybody wants that instant, like, give me, give me, give me. But in reality, over time, if you really want enjoyment in life, you, you put effort into things. You have patience with things. You go after things. What's a hunt? Uh, and it might not even be one of your trophies. I mean, Jim shot everything uh, for the most part. But what's one What's one hunt that might not have been your best trophy or whatever, but you were so excited that you had to put the time and effort in uh, to finally get one? Uh, yeah, you know, there's there's places that I hunt where you have a pretty good chance. Well, you have a, at least a chance of getting a, a really nice trophy. Mm -hmm. And then there's other places where you hunt where the trophy quality isn't as good, but you go on that hunt because of the people you're going to be able to hunt with. Mm -hmm. and, and you do that because those are usually places where you can actually get a license. Mm -hmm. um, where, whereas the, the trophy units, you have to apply and apply and apply. And, and sometimes you go years without getting those licenses. So, so you go on some hunts that, that, you know, going into it, your chances of even seeing a, a really big mature animal, uh, for instance, a bull elk is, is just not that great. So you, you go in there making, uh, uh, to make it the best hunt you can with what's available. Um, so you, you end up shooting, uh, uh, just a raghorn bull, a four or five point bull, which is about as difficult in some of these areas as a real trophy is in some of the trophy areas. And, and, uh, it can be a really fun hunt because you, you beat the odds where there's not a lot of elk and you, you at least got an elk, you, you brought home a whole bunch of good meat mm -hmm. and you also have great times with, with the people that you get to hunt with. Explain to, so, you know, uh, trophy hunting in American society has taken a hit. People hate it. People get mad about it. Everybody says, oh, you know, what a wuss. He goes out and kills an animal. Uh, what if the animal had a gun? You know, you see these posts. Explain to people what trophy hunting is and why it's important and what we do as, as hunters. Okay. Well, well, to start with, let, let's just talk about hunting to begin with. Uh, you know, human beings begin hunting just to stay alive depending on your, your belief system, you know, either, either six or eight or 10,000 years ago or, or a hundred thousand years. Ago. And, 
and if you believe in evolution, uh, the the advancement of the human species uh, owes a, everything to hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, high protein diet was what allowed our brains to develop and, and become stronger. A high protein diet is what keeps you from getting sick or be able to fight off diseases, and, and that's what allows the us as a species to get smarter generation after generation. So, so literally we, we owe our very existence to hunting and, and fast forward, you know, thousand generations, um, people say you don't have to hunt. Well, that is literally your opinion. That is, that is your view of morality that we don't have to hunt. And, and my view is that, uh, yes, we do have to hunt. I have to hunt. Um, that's what I was born to do. And, you know, then you have people that say, well, I don't eat meat. I don't believe in killing animals. Well, you know, that's like saying you don't believe in the flu. Um, hundreds of billions of animals get killed every year just so you can have uh, easy and cheap access to soy and corn and almonds. And- All right. I don't so even know what you. Yeah, no big deal. So a hundred, basically a hundred billion animals or a hundred billion animals are killed every year to provide soy to provide because without the farming without the animals in the farming community it doesn't work right oh yeah absolutely so so you don't believe in killing animals well and and you don't eat animals okay so you pay people to kill animals uh there's you either pay people to kill animals or you kill animals yourself just because you don't eat them doesn't mean that they don't get killed in the process of getting your food to your table and and then you also have the fact that, uh, you, you know, farmers will not allow um, animals to eat up all their crops. Mm-hmm. So if it's a large animal, the, the best way to deal with that is to allow hunters to kill them and eat them, mm-hmm. whether it's feral hogs or deer or elk or, or whatever it is, or geese or ducks. Um, or um, the alternative is they find ways to kill them so they just go away. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what's happened in Europe. Um, you know, who goes to Europe to, to see animals and hunt? Um, aside from a few, few particular places that the large mammals in Europe are non-existent. But we have this whole society in the United States that believes we need to copy the European um, wildlife <laughs> management. Uh, they think we need to copy a lot of the stuff they do. And yeah, every, and- every part of it always breaks down and is awful. But they, they, it, it's kind of a trend. You know, uh, you get a celebrity that says this or that. You get somebody that says, oh, we need to do exactly what they're doing. What they don't realize is if an animal doesn't have monetary value, they don't exist. That's just the way our society works. So in America, I think we do a very good job as far as, like you said, for trophy units, you're applying for years and years and years and throwing a lot of money into the pot to go get a chance to go harvest one of those trophy animals. That, that, that is correct. That's what we do. And, and to incentivize those animals in, in a lot of states, um, for instance, in New Mexico, if, if the ranchers have to deal with um, elk eating up their hay crops and, and causing problems and, and whatnot, so the Game and Fish allows them to, to receive uh, elk licenses for free that they can sell or they can sell hunts on their property to give them money to pay them back for the crops that the elk and the deer and, and antelope, whatever eat. And, and that gets right back to the, the uh, monetary component of all of this. 
if the landowner wasn't able to do that, he would be inclined to just go out there uh, with the, at night with a spotlight and just shoot every elk out on his pasture whenever they come in to, to eat the alfalfa because it's causing him to go broke and, and everything has, has a value. And the more value you put on it, the more likely it is to, uh, to still be around. Yeah. And as a businessman, if somebody's killing my bottom line, I'll kill them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's just like, and as a farmer, if you don't give the, the, the farmer some monetary value for somebody to come out and, and, and hunt the animals and take some out for you, what do you think the farmer's going to do? If your kids are dependent on your farm surviving, you're going to kill them. Like it, it's, it's between your kids and the animal at that point. <laughs> yes, it is. And, so, and, and one of the most recent examples was, you know, during the whole Cecil the lion debacle. Cecil the lion. What do you got okay. on Cecil the lion? Okay. So, so go ahead. So, so the, the most recent example of this is, is the whole Cecil the lion debacle and, and circus show. Mm-hmm. And, and, the, the sad thing about that was, was every bit of that whole narrative was a lie. Er, everything about it was a lie except for one thing, and, and that was that a lion got killed. But every other aspect of that story was, was either completely exaggerated or absolutely false um, because the sad thing was the, the truth wasn't bad enough. So they had to make it as bad as they possibly could. But, but during, the, during that whole time, Every wildlife biologist in the world, even the anti-hunting biologists, said we have to have we have to hunt lions. We have to have sport hunting of lions, or they will not exist. And uh, the people in the United States and Europe just didn't care. Um, all they really cared about was how can anybody enjoy hunting lions? We have to stop that. Yeah. Uh, it, it really didn't matter that it was a renewable resource. That you know, if if you don't hunt. Uh, the population gets too strong and you know when was the last time you had to worry about getting eaten when you were going out for water or to pick your vegetables or or dealing with things like that and and when was the last time you had to deal with a a 500 pound beast um, eating every animal that you own that you rely on to make a living not only make a living to eat and survive Um, the the most sensible uh, solution to all of that is trophy hunting and that's that brings in tons of money to incentivize the the people in africa to to live with these lions it also makes the lions afraid of man if if you hunt them they have a fear of man and they get really hard to to find and see and shoot if you don't hunt them they they lose that fear and then they start eating people and they eat livestock and the end result is they get killed regardless Um, and, and without hunting the population goes way down because there's just literally no reason for the local people to have to live with that, that terror, that fear, that cost, um, you know, something that can not only take your life, but ruin your life. Um, so I think, you, I think reality. Africa, Africa is the best example. We're so far removed from it though, because living in the United States, obviously, you know, people go to the grocery store, they do whatever. But they, they think that we can have these animals uh, existing, and we've seen the detriment already when animals uh, get close to cattle or sheep, right? Take the bighorn sheep, for, for instance. They get close to uh, farming practices. 
like things that put the food on our table. And there's a lot of people that say, oh, you know, well, I love my meat to be packaged and ready to go. We don't have to go out and kill animals or have a habitat for animals. They want the bighorn sheep, but they don't want the product of hunting them. And I think that's one of the good examples in the U.S. So in Africa, without the monetary money coming in to hunt the animals, I don't believe the plains, African plains game would exist without the monetary support of hunters. Well, they would not, except for in the, the, uh, the game parks yeah. that they have in Africa, which, you know, to be honest, is nothing but just a big giant zoo with, with no fence on it. Um, other than that, uh, and it's been proven over and over and over again, when you take away hunting in these areas, the, there's no incentive for them to be there. And the, the animals literally just go away. They, they, the, locals kill them and eat them and, and the food's gone and, so and the food that the animals eat if in most parts of africa you know there's a lot of parts of africa that the food's gone for the animals without hunters supplementing their need to be the animals there what's the point of the local african uh going out and putting out some hay and, and making a watering hole yeah there's no incentive whatsoever and and it, it just goes away and we can we can use another example. If you Africa, okay, so Africa's seven thousand miles away. How does that apply to us? Mm -hmm. Well, in nineteen ninety two, the the wise people in California voted to uh, do away with all mountain lion hunting in that state. Um, yeah. There were feelings that people were hunting mountain lions, um, and they didn't see the reason for it. Um, so, at well, during the the time when we hunted mountain lions, uh, the most we were ever killed in any any one year by hunters was about a hundred. And California, mm -hmm. uh, since the yeah. ban on hunting, there have been years when up to 170 mountain lions have been killed, not by hunters but by paid government killers. Um, so more mountain lions are being killed in California now than than they ever were when they were sport hunted. Uh, the difference is now, instead of uh, hunters paying thousands of dollars for the opportunity to do that, that brings money into the, the economy and employs people. Uh, now funds from within the game and fish department are being taken out to pay somebody to go and kill problem lions. So, so you have a reversal of, uh, you know, probably $10 million a year that could have been used uh, for wildlife habitat, wildlife protection, what what have you, and and you literally by having this ban, you have literally not accomplished a single thing except taking money out of hands of wildlife officers, and you know you have stopped hunters from enjoying sport hunting, which is what it was all about. Um, you know, I think I think if we look back in history, if you look back at history. When the United States government gets their hands on stuff, it doesn't go so well. It never does. And, and the, the beauty of what we have as a hunting culture is states still have power, right? The states have power over what they do in their state. We don't always agree on it. We don't always uh, like what they're doing, but you need opposition and you need resistance and you need people who are willing to think own brains of where's my money going so when i buy a hunting license in kansas or i buy uh i want to go so i just want to make sure that when my son 
wants to hunt the animal, that he might have the same opportunity that I have. Yeah, and that, that's what we all want. And, and that's why I became uh, part of the Pope and Young Club and, and got into the leadership of the Pope and Young Club is, uh, you know, our mission is to ensure the future of bow hunting. And, and bow hunting, I think, is uh, one of the hunting activities um, that ensures the most uh, human enjoyment, uh, the most number of hours in the field. On the Without a doubt, I, you know, when I go back and forth, and I remember when I was young, <laughs> and I used to remember uh, thinking about people who are rifle hunters and this and that, and I, I'm a bow hunter, you know, and I think uh, uh, sometimes we, we, we put this stigma on ourselves that we're better than somebody who wants to go out, buy a license, go hunt whitetail in Kansas, but it takes us all to make this work. Oh, absolutely. All, all hunting um, is important and, and needs to be supported by all of us. And, and even if you don't hunt, you, you need to support hunting because without hunting, there's no dollars for, there literally is no dollars for uh, wildlife management and wildlife protection. Um, you know, there, there's some trickles in from various tax programs and whatnot, but you know, 90% of all wildlife habitat restoration and protection and uh, you know, that even even protects the, the non-game species, you know, ninety percent of that comes from hunters' fees, uh, just uh, license fees and uh, donations and volunteer hours, and and without hunters, it simply doesn't exist anymore. So the Pope and Young Club, Bow Hunters Club, uh, we record in the record books, you know, a trophy. All that time, all that effort that you put in, you finally kill that that deer that's uh 127 you finally kill that elk that makes book it's cool and i think this is one thing that uh us as a society of bow hunters need to realize like when you put your name in the book you're there forever like nobody will ever take that away from you you put the time you put the effort into it i think a lot of people uh bow hunters when it comes to the pope and young club say well you know my deer if they didn't make it you know, they get mad. It's not to be mad about. It's when you do kill an animal that makes the book, it's something to make that animal, make that hunt memorable for everybody. I love looking at the Pope and Young book every year. Oh, wow, look, uh, Jim killed this or, or, or so-and-so killed this. Wow, that, that had to be an amazing hunt, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and we, you know, we created the record book 60 years ago. 60 years ago, you created the record book. Yes, and, and the record book was, was created to create bow hunting opportunities. Uh, at, this, at that point in history, most states did not let you hunt big game with a bow and arrow. A few states let you hunt during the rifle hunt with a bow and arrow, and a couple of states had bow hunting specific seasons for like deer and, and black bear and things like that. But for the most part, we, we weren't taken seriously. So the record book was a way to quantify our successes and show game and fish departments that we can be successful. We, we can um, get out there and enjoy hunting and, and uh, shoot some animals now and then. And, and at that time, if, you, if a particular area allowed 100 rifle hunters uh, during the deer season, they would probably kill 50 or 60 deer 
whereas 100 bow hunters would kill 10 or 15. Mm-hmm. And, and that meant you could give 300 bow licenses to, you know, triple the number of people in field to have this, the same impact on the, the population. So you're, you're really increasing the opportunity for people to get out there and have fun. And, and it's more days and it's, it's less impact. And um, it, it worked unbelievably well to where now we, we have bow hunting only seasons in every state. Um, and, and uh, so, so now people wonder, well, what's, what's the reason for the records? Well, now we, we have the idiots out there that claim that trophy hunting is bad for the health of the herd. Um, and, and our, our records indicate that the exact opposite is true. Uh, you get four or five or six new world records every recording period by having herds that are, are diminishing or, or not being healthy. The true indication of a healthy herd is, is big, mature male animals. And, and the bigger they are, the bigger the antlers are, the bigger the horns are, the more obvious it is that, that those animals are very healthy. They don't, they don't get big antlers and big horns and big bodies by uh, struggling. Just yeah. does not. And the stress on the herd is every bow hunter needs to just uh, take a step back and realize when you put your animal, it's not for you. It's not for the animal. It's for the betterment of bow hunting. Without, without the record books being That's put exactly into right. place. That's exactly right. And fish departments use uh, our data to determine the health of the various populations. They, they use it all mm-hmm. the time. So if you shoot a Pope and Young buck in, in Pennsylvania, or if you shoot a Pope and Young buck in California, or if you shoot a Pope and Young elk in New Mexico, and you don't record it, the fishing game doesn't get the data. So they don't know exactly what's going on. They can't give us more bow hunting opportunity, possibly, and say, wow, look, at these bow hunters are successful. If they can actually uh, help manage the herd, that's going to be relevant in the coming future when things are quicker, things are faster. They want the government to go out and kill the animals instead. We need to show the government that we as a bow hunting community can manage a herd, can help out with conservation, can do these things. Yeah. And, and yeah, we need to do that. And we do that constantly. It's, it's just that there are places within our society that um, emotions get involved. And, you know, the, the saying used to be that 10% of the people hunt, 10% of the people are absolutely opposed to the hunting and 80% of the people either don't care or somewhere in between. And, and, you know, that's, you know, that, that's uh, pretty close. Um, you know, you either, if you hunt, you're rabid about it. And, and if you don't hunt, but you, you know, a lot of people understand that hunting is necessary and, uh, getting back to the whole Cecil the lion thing, the, the reason that happened was about a year before that came out, there was a nationwide survey done that showed that 80%, 87% of Americans approved of hunting as long as the meat was utilized. Mm-hmm. 87%. The anti-hunting crowd just went ballistic over that. And they started creating crises and, you know, all the lies they told about Cecil was to combat that and get more people on their side. And I've said my entire life, if you have to lie about your cause to get people to support it, uh, is that cause really worth time of day? And, and no, it's not. If you can't be honest about it, it's not worth our trouble. The cool thing about society today and everybody listening and, and, whether you're a hunter or, or not, 
it's, it's providing opportunities for kids, for adults, for everybody to do something that's productive and not destructive. There's a lot of destructive activities we can go out and do. You know, there's a lot of things in life that aren't going to add value, aren't going to uh, help your kids, aren't going to help you, aren't going to help anybody. Hunting is one of the truest forms, whether you believe in, uh, in Genesis or you believe in evolution, it all plays. It's, it's one of the only things in life that's truer than, it's, than, than life itself and needs to be done every day that a bow hunter goes to the bow stand, a real bow hunter, we know we're probably not coming back with, with the harvest. We're not coming back with a trophy, but we still go. We still go day in and day out. Like, why do you still go, Jim? Well, I, I go because I have to. And, and <laughs> you know, there, you hit it right on the head. There's two arguments. It's either evolution or it's Genesis. And, and if, if it's evolution, you know, we've been a part of this we aren't aliens. We weren't put here from a different planet. We, we are a part of nature, whether you like it or not. And, and, you know, the far left believes that humans are a disease on the planet. Where yeah. the far yeah. right believes that, you know, we were put here for a reason and, and we are part of the planet and, and we have a responsibility. Right. Right. E- either way, the human being was, was meant to hunt. It doesn't matter whether we evolved to hunt. And of course, people say, well, we've evolved past that. And no, we haven't. You know, you, you may have never been genetically inclined to go hunting, but a whole lot of us have. And uh, for you to dictate that I can no longer do something that, that was, you know, human beings relied on for our, our very existence for thousands of years, for you to say you have to stop doing that. For only one reason, and the only reason is it hurts their feelings. They, they don't understand it. So because I don't understand it, you can't do it. Uh, forget that, that we've done it our entire existence and forget that it is um, literally a completely renewable resource that uh, is almost no impact on the resource if it's done right. Um, the, the amount of, of protein that comes from hunting and fishing um, is phenomenal and if you're going to take all of that out of the equation and rely on beef and cattle and sheep to to take that over or or even soybeans if you don't like eating meat or nuts and fruits um, the impact on the environment would be astronomical um we are we're so much better off just using that renewable resource the way we do now and, and maybe even capitalizing and using using it more you know it's funny to me is everybody wants to tell you, you know, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this, but they want to do what they want to do on the same token. So like the, the person who hates hunting, they want to start their blog on anti hunting and, and maybe they're an advocate of, of don't ever hunt and that's their lifestyle, but they want to choose to say, I want to do what I want to do, but if you want to do what you want to do, that's wrong. Yeah, and, and the problem is that it's these same people that also say that, uh, you know, if you don't agree with, with, not that I even care about it, but they say if, if you don't agree that homosexuals should have the same rights as everybody else, um, yeah. you're wrong. And, and that's, a, that's a moral decision. Um, how dare you, you uh, force your morals on me? Well, to decide whether or not to hunt or not is a moral decision. And for you to force your morals on me um, 
is literally no different. Uh, it, but, is, it is no different. So basically in America, being born in America, we're like uh, the one, one trillion billion to one to be born in a great country to where you can do what you want. It's funny to me how people want to uh, strip away things that people love to do it's a lifestyle. It's something that is productive. It's something that's fun to do. It's a challenge. It breeds great character. <laughs> like bow hunting. And I'll say this over and over, like bow hunting helped me get to the big leagues. It taught me patience. It taught me persistence. It taught me things that no other, there's not a classroom on planet earth that could have taught me what I learned from bow hunting. So the heroin epidemic was basically not a, not completely eliminated, but it got, and then you had to go on the black market. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, so are we going to just make heroin legal now and let you buy it over the counter at a drugstore? No, we, yeah. that's just not going to happen. That was bad for society. Just like uh, high fenced hunting is bad for hunting and it's, it serves no purpose for society. Um, it's an addiction. About, what do you think about? So like down in Texas with the exotics, you know, I know, I know I got buddies that like to go down there and, and, and hunt and shoot, uh, you know, you can shoot an axis deer, you can shoot all sorts of stuff on these high fenced areas and they love it. Absolutely love it. But they're also, you know, bow hunters and they'll go in and apply for a tag in Illinois to go shoot a white tail or they'll go apply for a tag to go shoot a black bear or to go to Canada or whatever. Right. So where, where do you think, do you think if we just nip that in the bud? that it's not going to be an issue? Well, so that's where you get into the gray areas. You know, you have the, the exotics that have come in to, to big ranches in Texas. For the most part, that's where it's at. And there's been instances where they've brought uh, animals back from nearly extinction by doing that. And, mm -hmm. and you know, they have bigger populations in the state of Texas than they do have in their native range. And, and I understand all of that. But, you know, for the most part, what I'm really opposed to is the, the people that are raising deer and elk uh, and, and our native wild game and, and raising them in captivity and, and pouring the hormones and the protein on them to where they have just grossly enormous racks and then people going out and shooting them and calling that a hunt. Um, that's yeah. That the, they literally are livestock. It's no different than, than going out in a pasture and paying a farmer to shoot one of his steers and, uh, you know, taking it home and eating it. That's not a hunt either. That's, you know, that's a slaughter. Um, so regulation wise, you know, uh, if there's places in Texas that have 10,000 acres, you know, and I don't know how you're going to shut an operation like that down. Like you said, they they're taking animals out of extinction, but, I got buddies in Michigan that will go to a whitetail, high-fenced whitetail farm that's like 146 acres and shoot a 220-inch uh, non-typical deer. Well, it, I just don't, I, I just don't see why. Yeah, like, what's I, the why behind it? Yeah, well, well, the why is, uh, you know, I don't want to be a snob here, but it's laziness um, because you, you literally can't do that any place in the world without without it being an artificial situation. So you're getting back to, you know, there are ranches in Texas that have high fence to, for a combination of two reasons. And, and one is to keep other people off their property and the other is to keep the deer in. But, you know, if you have a big enough ranch to where you just have a native population that's always been there, 
and you're hunting those animals and, and you're just trying to keep them from leaving your farm, you know, that's a whole lot different than, than genetically manufacturing an animal and, and placing it on the property and, and then going out and pretending it's a hunt. One of the hardest parts about hunting is the neighbor might shoot your deer. So these high fence places, you know, they kind of keep a run on it, even on the big ones, right? So you just had a hunt uh, and you, you shot one of the biggest deer that's ever been taken with a bow in Kansas. There was no, there was no reason other than your patience and persistence. You didn't know if somebody, the next door neighbor might've got him. Uh, somebody down the road might've got him, but that's the difference between a bow hunter and a hunter. And if you go to a high fenced area and you know, that 200 inch deer lives in there, it's easier to sit. Right. Absolutely. And, and that's, that gets back to fair chase. Can the animal get away from you, um, with a high fence, even if it's a huge acreage, uh, the animal cannot get off that property. And, and, you know, there's gray areas on, on what's a challenge and what's not. But uh, if for our record-keeping purposes, for the Pope and Young Club and, and Boone and Crockett, if your property is fenced in where the animals cannot leave, uh, you cannot enter them in the record book. And, why should uh, you? And, and that goes by, back to why should you be able to? Like, I, I don't right. think that, that that even should play a candle into, like, what you did in Kansas this year where – you just didn't even know if that deer still existed, but you're sitting there in hopes that he might. Yeah. And, and what's more fair than that? Uh, the neighbors could have killed him. He, he could have run off 10 miles and, and never came back again. He could have got hit by a car. Any number of things could have happened that makes that as fair as it can get. And, and to make it even more fair chase, I limit myself to, to a bow and arrow. And even more fair chase, I limited myself to a more primitive bow and arrow. Certainly not what, uh, you know, not as primitive as Saxton Pope and Art Young were using 100 years ago. But, uh, you know, it, I, it, it is a limit on myself. And, and we all choose those limits. But it, it's all about fair chase and keeping it honest. And the challenge. And so the challenge. If, if without the challenge, I think for anybody that wants to bow hunt or is a bow hunter, it's more about the challenge and, and seeing what you can do inside yourself as a person. When, when that big buck comes up and it took you years and thousands of hours in, in a tree stand to even look at a deer like that, to let alone make a shot at him without sights, without anything, but just yourself and your instincts to take over. And that's, that's kind of where I want to get people in baseball a lot of times too, is we don't need to rely on the gimmicks. The more you rely on the gimmicks, the less fulfillment there is, the more you rely on, uh, well, if I do this hitting drill or this, and I look this up on YouTube and this looks cool to me, but it's kind of filtering out the BS and getting to the point. Oh, no, no, certainly. And that's the beauty of traditional bow hunting. Uh, it's, it is one of the, the most ultimate challenges. Um, you, you know, I, I do have, you do have to get back to, and you have to admit that hunting, uh, hunting using traditional equipment on whitetail deer is a lot different than mule deer and, and wild sheep and antelope and, and things that where you're going to have to shoot farther. The whitetail deer lives in timber. It makes it a, a good hunt for a bow hunter. 
Oh, it does. It, it, it gives you the opportunity to get close and have close shots. And that's what traditional bow hunters need. We, we cannot shoot as far as a compound shooter because we don't have the sights. We don't have the release. We, we don't have, we don't have the technology that, that makes long range accuracy as efficient uh, as what the compound shooters do. So we have to be close. When the, the cool thing about hunting whitetail deer is you pick where you want to shoot them. A lot of times, you know, you're back in the timber, you're in the brush, you cut out your shooting lanes. And, and when I use, like, I'm a longbow hunter, so I know, okay, I'm going to cut my shooting lane to where I can shoot. I've had nice, I've had big deer that I would love to kill that are just outside of that range. And people think I'm crazy, you know, but I made my shooting lane 25 yards, 20 yards. And he walks on the other side of that lane because it's fair chase. I can't decide where that deer walks as much as I want to love, would love to be, uh, uh, have the, uh, the grunting system that you see on TV and every deer that you grunt at comes over. It just doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. And, and, and that, you know, getting to the, the whole TV situation, the hunting on TV, um, you know, it, it's a really cool industry and it's fun to watch and you get to see things that you might not ever have a chance to do. But, but the problem with that is, is in 20 minutes, you, you experience a whole hunt and, yeah. and then, you know, young people getting into the sport, they instant gratification. They think that it needs to be that way every time they go out. They need to kill something big within that one hunt, that one afternoon, that one morning, whatever. And if it doesn't work, it's it. There's something wrong. Well, they don't realize that you know hundreds of hours were put in to make that 20 minute video, and it's it's never ever as easy as it looks. No, and and they put so much pressure on themselves, and this is uh, something that relates to life. So they put so much pressure with those, the bow hunters on TV to go kill something that they kill stuff. They don't, I, and I don't even think that all the time, anytime you make something your occupation, you will never enjoy it as much as if you just enjoy it. If you just go out on a hunt and enjoy the hunt for the hunt and, and it's okay if you don't come home with a trophy, but you learned something and you learned about the animal and, and you learned about the environment and you learned a new place to hunt. That's as priceless as that's priceless. You, you, killing the animal on TV. What, what I've seen the whole TV revolution do is they put so much pressure on these young people to kill a 140 inch buck, 150 inch buck that when the, the 12 year old goes out and shoots the, the spike and he's pumped up about it. The dad's like, well, you, you, we, we don't shoot bucks like that. We need to let him grow. You know what I mean? Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm all about, you know, managing the herd. You get to a point, and this goes back to morals and, and where, do you, where, where do you see yourself? The moral of, hey, you know, I'm out here. What are you doing it for? And we want the herd, we want the deer to be as big as they can get. I think there's no better trophy there's no nothing better than fooling a mature buck or fooling that mature bull or whatever it is mature animals are tough to get on they're tough to hunt but when little johnny shoots his first deer get excited for him because that's the future of bow hunting 
Yeah, it, it certainly is. And, and, you know, all of us old timers really need to take a hard look at, at what we want for the future. And we need to take some time off and, and take some kids hunting, um, given that experience. Cause there's a, a lot of kids out there that would love to go that just simply don't have the opportunity, especially today with the, the single parent families and the, the urban life and all of that, yeah. you know, they didn't, they didn't grow up like we did where you could go out your back door and set some traps and shoot some rabbits and, and then eventually, you know, grow into hunting big game and whatnot. So, so we need to take it upon ourselves to try to get some people out there. I think that's the most crucial thing because like any person on planet earth, any ever been done at great lengths, it started with you. So everybody, every, everybody complains about the millennials and, oh, they're on their phone and they're on Instagram and they're on this and they're on that. And they don't know how to connect with people, but they don't do anything about it. It's all just eyewash. <laughs> yeah. And, and getting back to what we talked about in the beginning, you know, our kids haven't changed one bit. Parents have changed. Society's changed. Kids haven't changed. Um, you know, we, we haven't directed them in the places they need to go to be a successful human being. We allowed, yeah. allowed them to go into places where, you know, they're going to be, uh, uh, toads for the rest of their life because we haven't challenged them when we need to challenge them. And it, schools haven't changed or the, the schools really haven't changed that people talk about the public school system is such a mess. And, and there's some issues certainly, but, but what's really changed is the parents, you went from from children who were held accountable and uh, you know punished when they did wrong to uh, parents would fire the teacher if they even talked back to their kid, let alone give them a bad grade. So it's yeah. not the kids, it's parents. Uh, let's well, take a close look in the mirror, people. Definitely. Without a doubt, it all stems from the parents and everything that I do in baseball. I try to get people to understand that your kid might not be the best baseball player player on planet earth just like uh jim willems wasn't the best football player ever but <laughs> you got to realize and look at yourself in the mirror sometimes your kid maybe doesn't need to go play 150 games of baseball a year maybe he's into other things maybe she's into other things like don't limit them to doing what you want them to do let them experience a little bit but also give them a little challenge like make them be accountable make them be responsible that that's the best thing we can do when when you die which i don't want to see that happen what do you want on your gravestone <laughs> uh, you know I, I i'm too young to think about that andy i got about years <laughs> to think. but you, you know i went off on a, a little different angle <laughs> yeah i want people to say that he was a good friend and that's that's all you can ask for so re relationships that you've acquired over your, your years on planet earth are more important to you than probably any trophy. Oh, absolutely. Nobody's going to care about that when I'm gone. That's, that's just what I do today to, to be fulfilled is, is I hunt and try to be successful at that. Um, but you know, in, in the end, that's not that all that important. So if you haven't joined the Pope and young club, if you've never, if you, if you don't know what it's about, Jim, where can they find it? Well, just, just like you find everything else, you just uh, use your search engine and look for Pope and Young Club and our website's pretty easy to find where there's not a whole lot of Pope and Young Clubs out there. So, uh, you know, go to our website and, uh, you know, if you're an old timer, get a phone number and call 
And uh, if you're part of the younger generation, just navigate through the website and look it over. And if you're impressed with it, join. And uh, you, you literally, you don't have to be a bow hunter to belong to the Pope and Young Club. We, we have what we call a supporting membership that uh, non-hunters or non-bow hunters can, can join to be a part of what we're doing and see what we're doing. Um, and, and we have various membership levels. If you are a bow hunter, you, you know, there's a few more perks because of that, but, uh, um, you can be a supporting member and, and get our magazine and see what's going on. So check them out. Go to, uh, G O O G L E <laughs> is probably the best place to find any information. Type in Pope and young club, go there, check it out. Whether you're a bow hunter or not, I think it's important that, kids and people and adults and all of us have an opportunity to go do something we enjoy if you've never uh even thought about bow hunting and you have some questions just send me a message i can help get you started i can uh, help teach you how to shoot a bow whatever it is jim thanks so much for being on the show this is great this is great i, I really enjoyed this one uh probably more than some of my other ones uh, just because I'm passionate about bow hunting. I know you are too. And the, the lessons that I've learned from it are lifelong. There's no way, there's no way around it. Yeah. And thanks for having me, Andy. I always, always enjoy talking about what I'm passionate about, just like you. And, uh, there's I'm not more passionate about anything than bow hunting. It's, it's my passion and I, it's almost my life. Only, only second to God and family. That's right. If, Anybody has questions about bow hunting or the possibility of bow hunting, just hit me up on Instagram, Facebook, you name it. You know where to find us. Thank you so much for listening. It's get your game right. Get your mind right. Down and dirty with dirts. Uh, this was our first bow hunting episode. We'll have to do this again, Jim. I appreciate it. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Andy. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye.